0: So Luke chapter 2, starting reading at verse 21, this is God's word. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting And said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, and through the the many hearts and the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now, there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in at that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. So, when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Amen. We thank God for this reading from his truth. Well, let's pray now and ask for God's help to understand it. God, as we read about Simeon and about Anna being filled with the Holy Spirit, as we have seen in past weeks about Zacharias and Elizabeth, So we ask now for that special insight which comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask that as we examine your word that you would illuminate our minds but not our minds only. That you would illuminate our hearts. That you would reveal to us our own sinfulness. And that you would assure us that there is forgiveness of sin to be found through Jesus Christ. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. If you were a Jew living in much of the Old Testament era, there was one place on earth that was more important than all other places. One place that was absolutely essential to life. And it wasn't your bed and it wasn't the fridge. It was the temple in Jerusalem. The temple was the centre of Jewish life. From birth to death, from year changing into the next year, from season to season, Each point was marked by a celebration or a festival or a significant sacrifice made in the temple. And the reason for that was simple. The temple was the place where God was. The presence of God was in the temple. So if you wanted to meet with God, then you just went to the temple in Jerusalem. The Jerusalem temple was at the centre of of God's relationship with his people. So all of people's major life events found their meaning and significance in the temple. It is the place where people would come up at various points during their lives to be assured of salvation. In the Jewish mindset, the temple was the place where God would bring his salvation to his people. And what we're going to see today as we spend some time in the Jerusalem temple is that God does indeed bring his salvation to his people in the temple. But it's not in the way that people might have been expecting. God's salvation does not come as a code of conduct. It does not come as a philosophy of life. It doesn't come as a list of things to do. It doesn't come as a, a list of instructions on what to say. God's salvation comes in a person. It comes into the temple in Jerusalem in the person of this little baby, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation, friends, is not a, a change in circumstance. It's not a self-improvement program, 10 Steps to Salvation. Salvation is a person. Jesus is salvation. And so in a way, the temple is actually overthrown in this very moment. Jesus comes into the temple... And rather than the temple being the, the center of God's relationship with his people, Jesus is the center of God's relationship with his people. Jesus is the place where humanity and God meet in one person. So like I say, we're going to spend some time in the temple today, this morning, but we're going to look at this section where Mary and Joseph bring the baby Jesus to the temple. We're going to meet some of the people who saw him there. And then this evening, we're going to return to worship at the close of the Lord's Day. And once again, we're going to see Jesus in the temple, but this time he's going to be 12 years old. And we're going to very specifically try and see what Luke, the doctor, wants us to know from these accounts. You see, Matthew doesn't tell us these stories. And Mark and John skip the infancy and the childhood of Jesus altogether. They jump straight to his baptism as an adult. So what is it that Luke in particular wants us to know? He's taken on to to write this account to Theophilus, to to pull pull everything together. Why does he include these stories in particular? If you have a Bible, please have it open. Luke chapter two, we're going to jump right in and meet some of the characters. First of all, there's Mary and Joseph. Don't we see this family straight away? A family which shows... Exceptional devotion to God and his law. The law is mentioned a number of times in this passage. And it's actually bookended. I I don't know if you noticed that. It, It both begins and ends by telling us that this family do everything according to the law of God. See verse 39. When they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord... They returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. They had performed all things according to the law of the Lord. We're told they circumcised the baby on the eighth day. That's what's required by Leviticus 12. The same chapter requires a period of of cleansing for any mother who's given birth. So Mary waited the appropriate amount of time. She did everything according to the law. In verses 22 and 23, Luke very specifically points out the firstborn child must be dedicated to the Lord. That's from Exodus 13. And then there's this pair of turtle doves or pigeons that was required for poor families to bring to God as a sacrifice for their child by Leviticus chapter 12 again. And so I point this out and I think Luke draws our attention to it Not to say, look at Mary and Joseph, aren't they wonderful? It's not to say Mary and Joseph are model Jews, although they were. And it's not to say, friends, we should be devoted just like Mary and Joseph were. Although I think we can learn something from their example. The reason I point this out and the the reason I think Luke draws our attention to it is to say that they had to do this. They needed to keep the law of God. They were not perfect people who who didn't have to worry about law keeping. They were sinners in need of a saviour. Joseph and Mary were not holy because just like us, just like you and me, Joseph and Mary had sin in their hearts. And so they did what the law required. They acted in obedience. That's what the Old Testament told them to do. But in bringing this child into the temple, they were doing much more than acting in obedience. They brought salvation himself into the temple. The, the sacrifices, the, the law keeping, well, that could never actually remove sins. That's what we're taught in the book of Hebrews. The the law and the sacrifices were, were mere shadows. They were signposts pointing us to the one who entered the temple that day. The sacrifices and the law were reminders of sin. They were showing people, you are sinners and you need this. But there was one other act of obedience, I haven't mentioned it yet, and it's the name that they gave the baby. The name the angel had told them to give the baby before he was conceived. You see verse 21, you remember what the name Jesus means? He shall be called Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So if you can, I want you to try and zoom away, way out from this. Can you see this from a a cosmic point of view? From the point of view of what the angels perhaps see? Can you see the drama of what is happening on earth in this moment? For hundreds of years this temple has stood and it's shown people you are unable to deal with your own sin. You are sinful and you cannot save yourself. You cannot clean yourself up. And into this temple that has stood there for hundreds of years. In comes this baby. He doesn't walk into the temple. He's carried by his mother and father. And this baby is salvation for all those who come to trust in him. The baby is called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. This is what Galatians 4 and verse 4 says. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those born under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons, What Mary and Joseph do in this chapter shows us what the law demands of us. It's a really high bar. As the wonderful gospel hymn, Rock of Ages, puts it, Not the labours of my hands can fulfil thy law's demands. The law makes demand after demand of us. And that's what Luke is telling us here. He's saying Mary and Joseph did everything in obedience to the law. But they still weren't perfect. They still need the salvation that only Christ can bring. Friends, this is the gospel. This is good news. Too many people in our country believe that Christianity is about doing the right things and not doing the wrong things. People believe it's about keeping a set of rules. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't swear, don't go with girls who do. But the salvation found in Christ is way more radical than that. Salvation in Jesus says, believe. Believe in Jesus and you shall be saved. The reformer Martin Luther put it this way. He said, one is not righteous who does much, but the one who without work believes much in Christ. The law says, do this and it is never done. Grace says, believe in this and everything is already done. In Christ, there is a redemption from law keeping. A law which demands more of us than we can ever keep. In Christ, there is freedom. The freedom of sins forgiven. In Christ, there is everlasting life. And we see that in the next two people. We meet Simeon and Anna. Again, I am sure that there is a sermon, or probably two sermons, looking at Simeon and looking at Anna and saying, aren't these wonderful examples? Look at their devotion. Look at their faithfulness. Let's be more like Simeon and Anna. There's something to be said for faithfulness. There is something to be said for devotion. I think there's there's something of comfort perhaps for a mother, for example, who, who kneels by her bedside each night to pray for her delinquent children. If that's you, then keep doing it. Keep being devoted to it. But I don't think that's what Luke wants us to notice. I think what we're meant to see That comes through Simeon and Anna is a spirit filled testimony of who Jesus is. What is the Holy Spirit saying to the church? He's saying Jesus is salvation. Simeon takes Jesus in his arms and says to God, My eyes have seen your salvation. Again, the Christian faith is not a code of conduct. It's not about a philosophy of living. It's about a relationship with a person. The commentator, Dale Ralph Davies, I think this is beautiful. He says for Simeon, salvation is something he can hold in his arms. Salvation is something he can hold in his arms. Salvation is not something that comes through Jesus, as as if Jesus were a means to an end. No, Jesus himself is salvation. And not just for his parents, and not just for Simeon and Anna. Jesus is a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Gentile is a word which means non-Jews. And so what Simeon is telling us, and Luke is telling us in Simeon's words, is that all the world can be saved through Jesus. Men and women, old and young, Jew and Gentile. Jesus is salvation for all people, for all nations. He really is the saviour of the world. But, And this is a big but. That doesn't mean that everybody everywhere will be saved. It means people from all nations, but not every person in every nation. We must believe in Jesus. As it were, we we must do what Simeon did and and take Jesus into our arms. We, We must embrace him. We must accept him and believe in him. See what Simeon goes on to point out, verse 34. This child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Jesus will cause division. Some will rise, some will fall. He, he splits opinion. And that's no less true today than it was then. You can try it, go into a room. Go into a room and start telling people the only way that they can be saved the only way to get to heaven is to trust in Christ, and you watch that room divide. You watch people turn on you, people speak against you. You know it yourself. you, you feel a fear in your heart. You, you wouldn't do that, because you know it will divide opinion. Even in this room. Some of you are uncomfortable with what the Bible is teaching. Jesus divides opinion. Those who believe in him are overjoyed. Only Christ can forgive sins. What good news. But there are others who hate him for making such a claim. People who hate Jesus because they want to clean up their own lives, they don't want to trust in Jesus. Friends, where do you sit? I don't believe you can sit on the fence. You're either on one side or the other. Either you trust in Jesus as Lord and Saviour or you reject him completely. You can't sit on the fence. Where do you sit? Jesus splits opinion. And so we have to respond to him. Either we trust in him completely or we reject him completely. Where do you sit? God is speaking to you right now. He's demanding that you respond to Jesus. In fact, you are responding. This very moment is revealing your heart. That's what Simeon says in verse 35 will happen. The, heart, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Simeon at least alludes to how this can happen. How is it that Jesus is the only one who will bring salvation? The only one who can forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He he tells Mary that, that her soul will be pierced with a sword. She is going to have to endure heartache because of Jesus. We know what's going to happen. We know that he will die at a relatively young age. The forgiveness of sins requires the shedding of blood. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to forgive sin. But this child, Jesus, will grow into a man. He will go to the cross and he will shed his own blood for the forgiveness of many. And so he divides the root. Only those who trust In his death, will be saved and have their sins forgiven. Where do you sit? Luke's message, I think, is really clear in these opening chapters. Jesus is salvation. He is the Savior of the world. We see the the church in these opening chapters of Luke. It's nothing impressive. There's this elderly couple, Elizabeth and Zacharias. And then we had some shepherds, lowly outcasts. We have a young couple, Mary and Joseph. We have these these other couple of old people who hang around the temple all the time, Simeon and Anna. That's the church. It's not much to look at. Not much from the outside. But Jesus is at the centre. And that makes the church absolutely splendid. Under the Old Testament, the temple was the centre. But now Jesus is at the centre. And we see what the church does. As they gather to Jesus, they believe in him, they worship him, they praise him and they share his good news. We should do the same. Gather to Jesus, believe in Jesus, worship Jesus, praise Jesus, and share his gospel with all around us. Let me pray for us.